Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Two, one. When I'm working out, I love to listen to your podcast. Whenever you say something, other people react to it. Taking my breath away, Aaron. Fern Lundquist joins me. Hall of Famer Jim Calhoun. NASCAR icon Dale Earnhardt Jr. Kirk Herbstreet is on the phone. Here we Welcome in, everybody, episode 265 of the podcast that is sweeping America, the Air Tour Sports Podcast. It is Thursday, June 25th, 2020. I hope all of you are having a phenomenal day, a phenomenal week, and a phenomenal summer. I cannot believe that it is already the last full week of June. We are heading into July, and as I really said since March, I really do hope that a lot of you are now getting to back to some sense of normalcy. Um, obviously, July 4th weekend is coming up. I hope many of you are able to get away, spend time with family, all that stuff. I know that I myself will be taking a few small trips, actually headed to Vegas Thursday morning. Promise I'll be safe. I'll social distance. I'll do all the things necessary. Will not miss any episodes. I'll be back Monday. I'll be back Thursday, as I always am. But I hope all of you get to enjoy these next couple weeks as summer will eventually turn into fall And I can't believe that we are this close to the start of July and really the start of college football season. As for today's show, let me tell you this. First of all, I want to thank you guys, as I have the last couple weeks, for your continued support of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. I will tell you this. June is on pace to be the most downloads that we have ever done, and it is a direct reflection of you guys. Thank you guys for listening, for downloading, for sharing with friends, for sharing with family. And as I said the last couple episodes, if you have enjoyed this show, if you have enjoyed the college hoops coverage, the college football coverage, uh, the honesty that I bring to every episode, I do encourage you to share it with friends. And I will tell you this. Now that we got all our sports back, MLB and NBA, all that stuff, we can actually start talking actual sports. And as I've said many times, you guys come to this show to kind of escape some of the craziness going on in the world. And so today we are back on the court, on the field to play with a lot of big stories, a lot of stuff that has really happened in college hoops that I can't believe we're still talking about here at the end of June into July. And so here's a quick rundown of today's show. First of all, Cade Cunningham, we have talked about him throughout the month of June. He obviously had the opportunity to leave Oklahoma State. He instead announces he's coming back. I'm going to tell you what it means for Oklahoma State, what it says about Cade Cunningham, and what it says about his head coach, friend of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast, Mike Boynton. We will transition to my boy, Andrew Nemhart. You may remember... I was a little tough on Andrew Nemhard when he decided to leave Florida, but I'll tell you this. I think he actually made the right decision. I give him credit, 
And AT will do a little bit of an apology when we talk about Andrew Nemhard. We will then transition to UConn, an unfortunate side effect of this COVID situation. UConn announced on Thursday that they did have to cut five sports. A lot of you have asked me, why don't they just cut football? Football is the worst program in FBS. It actually, when I explain it to you, will make sense why they did not just cut football or remove it, uh, demoted, I guess you would say, to the FCS level. And finally, my good friends at William Hill, they have put out 2020-2021 College Hoops Championship odds, and I am going to tell you who I like and why, and it's never too early ahead to look to College Hoops. And honestly, if there's ever a time to make a bet, it might be now when there is less going on in sports, when Vegas hasn't totally figured out who the good teams are, who the bad teams are, and I will tell you who I like with that. Before we get started, I want to remind everybody, please make sure that you're subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. You can do it on iTunes, the Podcast Addict app. Android, uh, Podcast Addict app is for Android, Podbean, Spotify, TuneIn Radio. Wherever you listen to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast, please make sure that you're subscribed. Also make sure to rate and review the show Give us a quick five stars. Let us know what you like, what you don't like, all that stuff. But again, these ratings really do help us move up the iTunes charts. Also, make sure you're following on all the socials. I always tell you, the Instagram page is the best place you can find me outside of Twitter. So Instagram, Aaron underscore Torres underscore sports underscore podcast on Instagram. Uh, Facebook, Aaron Torres writer. Twitter at Aaron underscore Torres. And if you have any questions, Aaron Torres podcast questions at gmail.com. Questions at gmail.com. All right, people, there is no more time to waste. Let's get into the big stories. And really, the big story of this week really popped like literally minutes after I released the last episode. I almost did like a quick emergency reaction episode on Monday afternoon, but I figured, you know what? It's June. I'm going on vacation this week. I don't really feel like doing it. And honestly, it could wait until Thursday, but it is, frankly, probably the biggest college basketball news we will get until November 5th or November 8th or November 10th, whenever the season starts. And that is the news that Cade Cunningham has honored his commitment and will attend Oklahoma State University. And I think everybody listening understands the deal because I talked about it for three episodes in a row. But Cade Cunningham, of course, was the number one high school prospect in America. As I said on a few episodes ago, one of the best high school players that I have ever seen. Um, And when Oklahoma State, he committed to Oklahoma State months ago, signed with Oklahoma State. And when Oklahoma State, when it was announced that they will get a one-year postseason ban, he, like everybody on that team, had the option to leave Oklahoma State. And he had a lot of good options. And that was one thing Mike Boynton came on this show, the head coach of Oklahoma State. He said, look... All my guys have options. All my guys can leave this program and not have to sit out next season. But Cade has better options than anybody. And obviously, Cade Cunningham, Cunningham's options ranged from ranged from going uh, staying at Oklahoma State. That was the first one. Obviously, if he wanted to play college basketball, he could transfer to another school. If he wanted to go to this G League program with Jalen Green and Isaiah Todd and all those guys, he could do that. And of course, if he wanted to go overseas, he could do that. And I will tell you this, is, is I never claimed to have any inside information. First of all, I thought we covered that story about as well as anybody. We had Corey Evans on who knows the family well, knows Cade well. We, of course, had Mike Boynton on the show to talk about it. But I will tell you this. I always thought it came down to two things. Now, the day it happened, I freaked out. But when I really thought about it, I thought it came down to two things. I thought it either came down to Cade Cunningham staying in Oklahoma State 
or Cade Cunningham going overseas to play professionally. I never really thought that he would seriously consider going to another school. I know the rumors, the reports, even people that I've talked to have said that Cade Cunningham really came close to committing to Kentucky. But once he made that college decision, it was always going to be Oklahoma State. And I just didn't see him pursuing another college when Oklahoma State was the place that he wanted to be at. I thought if he was going to leave, it would be for a professional option. And as Corey Evans explained, as I kind of explained, this kid is not really... Uh, a follower. I've I've been told behind the scenes that this G League program has really been ramped up to really make Jalen Green the star of that program. And Cade Cunningham, would he become kind of a peripheral piece? Would he overshadow Jalen Green? Would there be like a weird whatever? And so I never really thought he was going to go there. And then, of course, the other option was to go overseas. But in the end, was going overseas that great of an option with everything that's going on in the world? Who knows? Even in two, three, four months, if you'll be able to travel, what living conditions will be like, what conditions in other countries will be like. And so I always thought that in the end, it actually probably did make sense for Cade Cunningham to come back to Oklahoma State, even if I didn't believe that it was actually going to happen until Monday when it did, but it did. And Cade Cunningham, who I believe was is one of the best high school players that I've ever seen, as I've said a bunch of times by this point, he has decided to come back to Oklahoma State and play college basketball. And this is great news for college basketball, even if he'll only be there for one year, and even if, as of right now, Oklahoma State cannot play in the NCAA tournament. And so let's kind of get into all this. And really with the Cade Cunningham stuff, I have three kind of big picture thoughts. And let's start with Cade Cunningham himself. I have told you guys, and Corey Evans told you, and Mike Boynton told you, Kate Cunningham is one of the most unique high school players that I have ever been around. Now, as I've said on previous shows, I have seen basically every marquee, high-profile high school player really since about 2012, 2013. That's when I really started getting into this. And for starters, in terms of actual on-the-court play, Kate Cunningham is about as talented as any player I've ever seen. As I said on a previous episode, there are only two guys that I've ever walked in the gym first time I saw him play and said, that guy looks like a future number one overall draft pick. One was Ben Simmons, hate to brag, nailed it. Second one is Cade Cunningham. We will see if he lives up to that hype, but I believe he is that good. But more than just being a good player, he's just, and I I don't want to be over dramatic about this stuff because I do think we do this in the media sometimes, but he really is by all accounts, as best I can tell, and I don't claim to know him incredibly well, but an incredible kid and an incredible leader. And I'll just give you an example. I've interviewed him a few times, once or twice, kind of at events, all that kind of stuff. You know, you kind of, um, you know, you, 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 you talk to a kid, you do whatever, you blah, 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 you take down a phone number, you say, hey, if I have any questions, do you mind if I follow up? And what I would say is this, is that with Kate Cunningham, this is the kind of kid that he is looks you in the eye, shakes your hand, thanks you for your time. And then, by the way, he's the kind of kid that when you text him to say whatever, blah, 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 you know, thank you for the time, he texts you back, or before you can even respond, he texts you saying thank you for for taking the time to talk to me. That was my experience with Cade Cunningham, one of the few athletes that has ever, after an interview, gone out of his way to thank me for interviewing him by the way, random, but Emmanuel quickly actually did the same a few months ago. And so I just think it speaks to the kind of kid that Cade Cunningham is. And in the end, this is why it didn't ultimately surprise me that he decided to come to Oklahoma State or come back to Oklahoma State. If you watch the video where he announced that he is in fact going to college, 
Uh, He talks a lot about loyalty. And listen, the one thing I will say, in sports right now, loyalty is basically at an all-time low. And it happens in every sport, at every level. I'm not blaming basketball players or football players or baseball players or college athletes or pro athletes, but it's a fact. We see it at the college level. We see it in college football where you're a five-star quarterback. You come in, you can't win that job right away, you transfer. We see it in college basketball. You're not getting the minutes you want, you immediately transfer. You go pro even if you're not ready. You quit the team midseason like some kids did. They will not be named, but yes, I'm talking about Khalil Whitney (laughs) earlier this season. Um, At the pro level, we see guys all the time asking out of contracts when they're in the middle of a contract. You sign a contract to be a face of a franchise, two years in, your team's not doing well, I want to be traded. I don't like it personally, but that is just the world that we live in. And so I'm not surprised when all this stuff happens, but it is refreshing to see a kid like Cade Cunningham say, I committed to this school, I committed to this coach, I committed to this university, I helped recruit a lot of this recruiting class, I'm still coming to school. And this was a kid, again, with a lot of real options. So first of all, I think when I look at this whole situation, it tells me that Cade Cunningham is who I thought he was. And I, I know I sound like Dennis Green right now. You play to win the game, whatever, blah, 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 blah. Is Kate Cunningham is who I thought he was in the sense that he is loyal. He is competitive. He is a guy that wants the burden of taking Oklahoma State and raising them to a level that they may not have been for a couple years. And I actually think he's going to get there. I've said it on this show. I don't think he's Anthony Edwards at Georgia. I don't think he's Ben Simmons at LSU. I don't think he's at Markel Fultz at Washington. I think he is going to elevate Oklahoma State. Now, does that result in an NCAA tournament or not? We don't know because we do not know if they are eligible. But I think when you look at the guys they have coming back, and as I mentioned a few weeks ago, they were actually a pretty good team last year. People don't realize this. They started 7-0, and were playing really well, and then their best player, Isaac Likely, actually gets mono. He misses a month. It's really another month before he's full speed ahead, actually playing at 100%. And so, yes, they struggled without their best player. Isaac Likely comes back. They win five of their final seven games, and they were actually a pretty good team. And so I think when you take the guys that they already have, you add Cade Cunningham, I think Oklahoma State is a team that if they have the opportunity to play in the NCAA tournament, I think they're going to make the NCAA tournament. Again, I don't think this is Anthony Edwards at Georgia, which, by the way, wasn't Anthony Edwards' fault. It was Tom Crean's fault. But I don't think this is Markel Fultz. I don't think this is Ben Simmons. I think Oklahoma State's going to be a really good team. Now, are they going to be the best team in the Big 12? Probably not, because Kansas is going to be really good. Texas Tech's going to be really good. West Virginia, Baylor, et cetera. But I do think Oklahoma State's going to be good. So that is what the first thing that I take out of this. Cade Cunningham is who I thought he was, loyal, committed, and I give him so much credit. Because it is so hard at 18 years old to turn down millions of dollars or at least hundreds of thousands of dollars to come play college basketball. The second thing this says to me, how about my boy Mike Boynton? Mike Boynton, friend of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast, you may not remember, he came on two weeks ago. If you don't remember, by the way, get your head out of the clouds. He was just on two weeks ago. But what I talked to Mike Boynton about and what I truly believe is that he is he is, again, Mike Boynton's kind of the same thing. He is who I thought he was. Mike Boynton is a guy that you ask people around college basketball, nobody has a mean thing to say about him. I've had Oklahoma fans, I've had Oklahoma media, people that are Oklahoma State's biggest rivals say, I love this guy, man. He is impossible not to like. And the one thing that Coach Boynton and I talked about when he was on the show, 
never forget, about four or five years ago, he was actually an assistant coach at Oklahoma State. And so a lot of the players currently on the roster are players that he recruited as an assistant. He built real relationships with them. They really do look at him as a father figure. And it really has paid off because if you look at what's going on at Oklahoma State, he has basically kept the team completely intact. Of the 13 scholarship players that they have, only two have left. And one of them was basically the last guy on the bench who didn't play anyway. And keep in mind, all of their players could leave without sitting out for a year. So if you don't have a good relationship with the coach, if you don't really like being at the school, it would have been easy for all of these guys to look for other options. But really, when you look at the entire roster, you take out the last guy on the bench, only the kid, your Anai, the big six foot eleven center, pursued other options. The rest of everybody else came back, even though they know they might not play in the NCAA tournament. That is an incredible testament to Mike Boyan and a testament to what he said when he came on this show which is that he only wants what's best for his players. And, th- and every, every coach talks about it. Every coach says they're going to do it. Not every coach acts it, though. But I think when you see all these guys reaffirm their commitment to Oklahoma State, it's really a recommitment to Mike Boynton. And I'll tell you this. I'll tell you a little side story that was told to me off the record. But I'm going to share it now. I won't tell you who told me. It wasn't Mike Boynton. But somebody told me that a couple of the players, including Isaac Likely, their best returning player outside of Cade Cunningham, who wasn't on the roster last year, a bunch of their returning players, including Isaac Likely, actually wanted to reaffirm their commitment to the school even earlier than they did. And Mike Point wouldn't let him. He said, I really want you to look at your other options. I really want you to consider what's best for you. I don't want you to make an emotional decision. And so you had kids ready to recommit to Oklahoma State at that moment, and he wouldn't let them. So again, to me, it speaks to the kind of character Mike Boynton has and the kind of relationships that that guy is building with kids on the high school level. Finally, third takeaway. And I talked about this a lot. I'm all out of breath. I'm all huffy and puffy. It's end of June and I'm hot and it's 100 degrees in my apartment, but whatever, I keep going on. It's where you separate the boys from the men. The men that can do the podcast in the middle of June when it's 100 degrees in the apartment, those are the guys you want to ride with in the fall and in the spring and in the winter when real sports are going on. Yes, I'm a little delusional right now. Uh, But the third takeaway that I have from this situation is very simply this, is that this is a massive win for college basketball. And I talked about this really the day after after Oklahoma State was put on probation and it looked like Cade Cunningham might really transfer. But I do think it's important to note the time that we're in. And the time we're in is very simply this. It is very simply a time where you have more people than ever competing against college basketball for the best high school players. And six, seven, eight, three, two years ago, the best high school players all just went to college for a year. Zion Williamson was not that long ago, and there was no competitor with college for Zion Williamson. Now you have the pro leagues overseas like Australia competing for players. You have the G League trying to raid college of its best players. And college basketball had a really unfortunate situation where this year with no NCAA tournament, players like Obi Toppin, Cassius Winston, Miles Powell, uh, Trey Jones, Tyrese Maxey, Emmanuel Quickly, they didn't have that huge stage of the NCAA tournament to really propel themselves the way that other players have in the past. And so I bring it up because this is such an important win for college basketball because I do think if Cade Cunningham had chosen a professional G League option, what would have happened is what I said a few episodes ago. 
Jalen Green is already in the G League, okay? He will probably be the number two pick in the draft behind Kate Cunningham. Jonathan Kaminga, who reclassified from the class of 2021, will probably be a top three pick in next year's draft. He is probably going to go to the G League. If Kate Cunningham had gone to the G League, or if Kate Cunningham had pursued a professional option, and the top three picks were all from the G League, or all from an overseas alternative to college basketball, I think that would have been crippling for college basketball because I don't think any elite player would ever look at college basketball the same again. They'd say, well, man, the top three picks in this draft all went pro, all made money at 18 years old. Why am I not going to do the same? Now, I still think there's going to be a lot of kids that choose those options going forward as long as they're in place, as long as the NBA has this one and done rule in place. But what I would also say is this. If Kate Cunningham comes to college next year, and Kate Cunningham balls out, and Kate Cunningham's on Big Monday, and Kate Cunningham is dropping 22 with 11 assists against Kansas at Allen Fieldhouse, that is only going to help him propel his stock in a way that with no disrespect to the G League, Jalen Green, Jonathan Kaminga, Isaiah Todd, those kids won't have that platform, that opportunity. And I do think college basketball, for all its faults, still does provide a great platform for all of these players, even the elite ones with their own quote-unquote brand. And so I think it's great for college basketball that Cade is going to be in college basketball, that he is going to have the opportunity to continue to build his brand, and that really he is going to show the value of college basketball. So maybe those elite guys in 2021, they don't immediately assume that they are going to go to the, the professional path as opposed to college. They could see Cade Cunningham the way they saw Zion Williamson or R.J. Barrett or Anthony Davis or Carmelo Anthony back in the day and say, you know what, getting paid is nice, but I'm going to make more money in the long term by coming to college for one year. And so we don't know for sure if that'll happen. We don't even know if, if Oklahoma State will be eligible for the tournament. But it was a great win for college basketball to have Cade Cunningham come to this sport. And I cannot tell you how excited I am to watch him play at Oklahoma State. All right, the other big on-the-court news from this past week in college basketball is very simply this. My boy, Andrew Nemhard. My boy, Andrew Nemhard. As you may remember, Andrew Nemhard played the last two years at Florida, was pretty good as a freshman, and really basically didn't play all that well as a sophomore. Declared for the draft after last season, declared for the draft after his freshman season, both years, he is told, you're not really good enough to play in the NBA. Go back to college, get better. Somehow, he got worse this season, and when he decided to come back to college for a third year in early June, he decides to transfer. And if you remember, I absolutely crushed Andrew Nemhard. And the reason was very simply this. It's because I do think that oftentimes, there are too many players who do not look in the mirror and do not realize that you can't blame the coach, you can't blame your teammates, you can't blame the program, you can't blame the system. Sometimes you got to look at yourself in the mirror and say, I'm part of the problem. And so when Andrew Nemhard decided to transfer, I said, look, man, I'm the least, I'm the person, the last person that will defend Mike White. But Mike White isn't the reason that your field goal percentage went down. Mike White ain't the reason your three-point percentage went down. Mike White ain't the reason your turnovers went up. And so instead of blaming Mike White and transferring from Florida, maybe get back in the gym and get better. And when he transferred, I was really critical. And when he transferred, I assumed, you know, he's just going to look for the easiest path to playing time, and it's just going to be trading in one problem for another. 
Except here's the thing. That's not what happened at all. And I owe Andrew Nemhard an apology. I was probably more critical of Andrew Nemhard than probably any college basketball writer in America. Generally, I am. Generally, I tell it like it is. Generally, I'm not afraid to take a strong opinion. But on this one, I was wrong. This one, I'll take an L. Because Andrew Nemhard announced on Tuesday that he will continue his college career, but with a catch. One, it will be at Gonzaga. And two, and this is the important part, he is actually going to sit out next season, develop, not play, and step in for the Zags in 2021-2022. And so Andrew Nemhard, <laughs> my man, I owe you an apology. And if Andrew Nemhard's family listens to this show, guys, I owe the entire Nemhard family an apology. Because this kid who I thought was immature, who I thought, as I said on this show, was like Mac McClung, who just left Georgetown without really a plan, just hoping to get eligible somewhere else, trading his problems in one place for another, Andrew Nemhard has a plan, and I love it. And I owe that kid an apology. And so what is the plan exactly? And there is a plan, and that's the best part about this. And this is what I love about this decision from Andrew Nemhart. What is the plan? What the plan actually is, is what so few people are willing to do in this world that we live in. I just talked about it with Cade Cunningham a minute ago, and I'm going to talk about it here too. Rather than taking the path of least resistance for Andrew Nemhard, he actually took the path of greatest resistance, but the path that will sometimes give you the best long-term outcome. And we obviously aren't going to know what happens with Andrew Nemhard today, tomorrow, even a year from now, but I love this path that he chose, and here's why. As I said when he decided to transfer, my biggest fear was this, that Andrew Nemhard was going to make the decision, it didn't work at Florida, it's all Mike White's fault, it's all my teammates' fault, it's all the system, none of it is on me, and let me just go someplace else, and I'm going to fight to get eligible, try to get eligible, and see if I can just play well next year and get into the draft. That's what I thought he was going to do. Instead, it's the exact opposite. He is going to the place that whatever you think about Gonzaga, and I actually like Gonzaga. We're going to talk about them in a minute when I get to the futures in college basketball. He will be competing with two very good players in practice every single day next year. He will be competing with Jalen Suggs, a McDonald's All-American, who will be a one-and-done at Gonzaga, as well as a kid named Joel, my favorite name in college basketball, Ayayi, who has declared for the NBA draft but will very likely come back. And in the process, he isn't going to push for a waiver. He's going to sit out next year. He is going to compete against two NBA caliber point guards in practice. And then when both of those guys are almost certainly gone in 2021, 2022, he is going to take over for them. And he is going to take over for him in a program that has a pro style system that scores a lot of points that plays fast-paced, and so it really is kind of the best of both worlds. It's really the best of all worlds, if you think about it. He's not going to be rushed on the court. He's not going to feel the pressure of playing right away, and even when he gets on the court, it will come after a year of practicing against elite competition and in a system that if he believes that he's an NBA point guard, he will actually have the opportunity to show it at Gonzaga. A couple more thoughts on this. First of all, I love the decision to sit out for all the reasons that I just said. One, he will be competing against future pros every day in practice, which will make him better. No different than if he went to Duke, than if he went to Kentucky, than if he went to other places that had pros. And I think sometimes this is good, right? And I've talked about this a lot on the show, but we are in such a rush as a society, and it's everybody. 
It's me. It's you. Why don't I have this? Why don't I have that? Why isn't this happening? Why isn't that happening? And we're, we try to skip steps in the process. And sometimes with these kids who have played 100 games a year since they're 9, 10, 11 years old, never taken any time off, never taken any time away, the best thing you can actually do is be away from the game, right? I talked about this with Obi Toppin. If you remember, hate to brag, sick name drop, but Obi Toppin, the national player of the year, was on this show in March. And when Obi Toppin was on this show, we talked about the fact that Obi Toppin actually had to sit out as a freshman at Dayton. And Obi Toppin said that was one of the most important times of his career because for the first time he wasn't playing and he learned how to be a good teammate. He learned how to show up at practice every day and contribute to the team even if he wasn't on the court. He learned how to watch the game rather than playing in it. The game slowed down for him when he got back on the court. And there are so many guys like that. Like It's so funny, right? We think that every kid is Zion Williamson. That's not the case. Most of these guys need time to develop. Most of these guys need time to understand how to play the game. And this isn't even an Andrew, Andrew Nemhard thing. This is a bigger picture kind of college hoops thing. And so I think we're in such a rush to push these kids into college and out of college that sometimes we skip steps in the development. And so for Andrew Nemhard, this is a perfect situation. You play against pros next year. You step in the following year. You get to watch. You get to see. You get to learn from Jalen Suggs. You get to learn from Joel Ayayi. You get to learn from Mark Few for two years. And so I just give him so much credit for not only picking the best school for him, but also picking a path that might work. We don't know if it'll work. We don't know what the long-term decision will be for Andrew Nemhard, whether it will pay off or not. But I'll tell you this, Gonzaga has a great track record of guys that develop in that program while they're there. I'm going to drop a few names that you may have forgotten through the years. Remember Kyle Wilcher? Started at Kentucky, struggled, really good player at Gonzaga by the time he left. I think he got a little time in the NBA. Not saying it couldn't have happened at Kentucky, not being critical of John Calipari, but I think we would all agree that extra year helped him. The year Gonzaga made the Final Four, they had a point guard named Nigel Williams-Goss. If this sounds familiar, it's because it's a lot like Andrew Nemhard. Was a former McDonald's All-American. Nemhard wasn't, but he was a highly rated recruit. Went to Washington for two years. It didn't work out. He wanted to go pro, got bad feedback, comes to Gonzaga. Sits out his third year, plays as a, as a redshirt junior, leads Gonzaga to the national championship game. The kid I mentioned, Joel Ayayi, he took a redshirt year. A bunch of other guys have. And so this is the perfect spot for Andrew Nembhard. And so I'm not going to beat this to death. I'm not going to go on and on and on. But I just give this kid so much credit. Because it's so easy in this world that we live in to take the path of least resistance, to trade in one set of problems for the other. And when he made the decision to leave Florida, I said, what situation are you going to be in that is ultimately better than where you're at now in Florida, where you lead the team in minutes played, second or third most shots, whatever. And he did find one of those situations. By the way, quick shout out to Gonzaga. How about the Zags? Okay, so I, I did tweet this, and by the way, Gonzaga fans loved it for good reason, but Gonzaga, okay, I know that a lot of you that aren't Gonzaga fans don't like Gonzaga, and their schedule's too easy, and they don't play anybody, and blah, 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 blah. Can we all agree that Mark Few has built a pretty incredible program? And what I mean by that is this. 
I'm not even talking about the final four uh, three seasons ago. I'm not talking about three Elite Eights in the last five NCAA tournaments. I'm not talking about the fact that they are the only program in college basketball to go to the last five Sweet 16s in the last five NCAA tournaments. What I will talk about is this. Go back to where Gonzaga was 20 years ago, okay? Many of you guys are young. Many of you guys don't remember. But Gonzaga in 1999 kind of bursts onto the scene. They're this nothing school from the Pacific Northwest. No disrespect to any Zags fans that are listening. They play UConn, go to the final, you know, to play to go to the Final Four. They lose in the Elite Eight, and we think they're done forever. Their coach leaves to go to Minnesota, and some guy named Mark Few takes over. Well, Mark Few's been there now 20 years. They have never missed the NCAA tournament, and they have elevated things so much to the point that they get a kid like Andrew Nemhart to commit. And on the surface, maybe it's not that big of a deal to you. But just think about it from this perspective. Andrew Nemhart had a lot of really good options. One of those options was to play at Duke. Not sure if you heard of Duke. Coach K, five national championships since 1991. That guy's pretty good. He knows what he's doing. And Andrew Nemhard decided to go to Gonzaga because he believed that Gonzaga would put him in a better position two years from now to be a pro than Duke would. How about that? I'm just saying, little school, northwest part of the country, they just got a guy to commit to them over Duke because that guy thinks that he will get a better opportunity to play in the professional ranks at Gonzaga than he will at Duke. All right, a couple more quick topics. I'll let you go. The first one, my UConn Huskies. Don't know if you saw this story, but it was kind of the big story in college sports. And very simply, what you need to know is this is that obviously, look, since the NCAA tournament was canceled, a lot of conversation has come from how schools will balance their budget without the NCAA tournament check coming in and with a very scary reality that we might just have football not in a traditional sense. And what I mean by that is either football with no fans in the stands or 50% capacity or 25% capacity or whatever. And so we knew that schools were going to have to start cutting athletic programs here, there, other places. And some pretty small schools, even at the FBS level, have uh, Akron cut some sports. I believe Kent State did. I know Cincinnati cut their men's soccer program. But probably the biggest, most wide-sweeping cut came at my alma mater, the University of Connecticut, where on Wednesday, five programs were cut. And for people who didn't see it, the five programs were men's, swimming, men's diving, which are two separate programs, men's tennis, men's cross country, and women's rowing. And so first of all, we do have a lot of UConn fans that listen to this show. Um, If we have any friends of athletes that lost their scholarships on Wednesday or lost their program, obviously my heart goes out to you. My heart goes out to any kid that went to a specific university to play a specific sport and now will not have that opportunity. Um, But in the bigger picture, what I do think is a lot of people are asking me one very simple question. AT, we know you love UConn. We know you know UConn better than anybody in the media. Well, I made that part up, but it's probably pretty true. Why didn't you just cut that lousy football? Why didn't you just get rid of that awful football program that's absolutely terrible? Randy Edsel, by the way, I looked this up. I couldn't believe it. Six and 30 since he came back three years ago. They are now going to be an independent because they basically they left the AAC so that the basketball programs could go back to the Big East. Why don't you cut those losers in football? 
So first of all, I would say this. You know, I'm sorry that I called them losers. That wasn't funny. I wasn't trying to be sarcastic. But the program has been pretty bad. And a lot of people have asked me this, and so I want to explain it. And I want to explain by kind of in the bigger picture explaining everything. And first of all, UConn is taking a lot of negative publicity for one very simple reason. People were saying they should have never tried to go big in football to begin with. And that's just factually incorrect. And so if you can go back to the early 2000s, late 1990s actually, when UConn made the decision, it actually didn't make a lot of sense. And the reason it made a lot of sense was because they had a pretty sweet setup. And so when UConn decided to go from FCS to FBS in the late 1990s, they were set to join the Big East, which doesn't even exist as a football conference anymore, but was actually at the time one of the better conferences in college football. When UConn committed to go to FBS football, they were set to go to a conference with Miami, which was one of the two or three best programs in the country at that point. The Big East had Virginia Tech. Boston College was good. Pitt was good. West Virginia was good. There were a lot of good programs in the Big East. Now, before they even got to the FBS level, Miami and Virginia Tech, as well as Boston College, had left. The Big East had been taken a hit, but it was still a power conference in football, and there was still an opportunity to play in big bowl games, which UConn did when it went to the Fiesta Bowl a few years ago. And listen, was UConn ever going to win a national championship in FBS football? No, but it wasn't as bad when it was good as people think. Never forget, they played in a Fiesta Bowl. They played in multiple bowl games. Dan Orlovsky, who is all of a sudden like the voice of football on ESPN, played at UConn. He ended up being a 14-15 year pro after he left the UConn football program. And so don't blame them for joining FBS a million years ago because they thought they were going to go to a conference with Miami and Virginia Tech. And I don't even blame them for sticking with the FBS after the last year. A lot of people are saying it makes no sense. If you cut the football program, you could save all these other programs. I don't know that that's true, and let me explain why. So first of all, for people who don't follow UConn, as I said, about a year ago now, I think it was actually July 1st, 2019, they make the announcement they are going back to the Big East in men's basketball, women's basketball, and basically all the other sports that the Big East has sports in. So soccer, you know, tennis, whatever. And when that happened, they had to leave the AAC. And I think it's another important note. UConn never left the Big East in the first place. The Big East kicked them out because the Big East did not have power football. UConn had invested millions of dollars in power football. They wanted to stay playing at a high level. They go to the AAC, but it impacted the basketball program so much that they decided to go back to the Big East in basketball and they went independent in football. And so again, why not cut football? So many of you have asked me. I've gotten multiple DMs on it. It's really very simple. As bad as UConn football is right now, there is still more money to be made at the FBS level as an independent than there is going down to FCS and trying to save the other sports. And it really sucks. And by the way, I'll just say this. It really sucks. I'm not trying to defend UConn football. I'm not, not sympathetic for UConn men's women swimming and diving. UConn tennis, women's rowing. I feel bad for all of those athletes. But if you look at the facts, there's still more money to be made keeping the program at FBS even as an independent. First reason why is very simple. As long as you're an FBS team, and by the way, when you have 12 spots on the schedule, this makes it easier, you can get those big buy games against really good teams. So UConn in 2021 is going to play at Clemson. It's going to be a bloodbath. It's going to be terrible. 
But UConn's also going to get a check for like $2 million to go play at Clemson. Right around $2 million to go play at Ohio State in the late 2020s. They're playing at Michigan. They're playing at Ole Miss. All of those schools are giving them a big check to do so, checks that they could not get if they went down to the FCS level. Because remember, division FBS programs, they can only schedule one FCS opponent a year to count towards their record to get bowl eligible. So if UConn goes to FCS, they got to fall in line with all the other FCS programs as an FBS team. I hate to say it, but they're an easy win for Ohio State, Michigan, Clemson, Ohio State, uh, uh, Ole Miss, whatever. And UConn still gets that check. So that's one. Two, while I don't know that any elite program will ever come to UConn to play at UConn, UConn's still getting some pretty good games. Now, some of you that are, you know, Tennessee fans or Georgia fans or Ole Miss fans or USC fans, you're going to laugh. But the schedule isn't terrible over the next couple of years. It wouldn't be a highlight of your schedule, but UConn does host UNC, does host Syracuse, it does host Boston College, it does host Indiana, it does host Purdue. We're talking Power 5 teams are coming to Connecticut to play UConn. And what I would also say is this. If UConn actually ever starts winning, they'll get some other good teams to come to Wrenchler Field. They'll get some other good teams to come to Connecticut. They got to start winning, though. That's on Randy Edsel. Get this team going. You can't go 6-30 and 30 over a three-year period. And then the third reason, which a lot of people don't know about, but I've done a lot of reading on, is that a few programs have dropped from the FBS level to the FCS level. And what people find is that donations plummet with them. In other words, many of you guys, as I said a minute ago, are fans. Some of you guys are Tennessee fans, Georgia fans, Alabama fans, whatever. As we talked about on the last episode, to get those season tickets, you got to pay a lot of money on top of the actual ticket price, okay? And even when your team is bad, you still donate money because of the pride of maybe I'm a Tennessee fan and maybe my team sucks, but I know one day we will be back and I want to be part of Tennessee football when we actually get back to the top of the sport. Same with whoever, Ole Miss fans, same with USC fans, same with, I don't know, Michigan fans, Michigan State fans, whatever. And it's kind of the same with UConn fans. UConn fans are, UConn fans are smart. They understand that they will never be Clemson or Ohio State or Michigan. But you get the right coach, you get the right situation, could they be 8-4, and 7-5, and five, go to a bowl game? Yes, and that's something a UConn fan can take pride in. A UConn fan can take pride in and say, we can compete with some of these teams in these power conferences. We're not Clemson, we're not Georgia, we're not Florida, but we can, we're not terrible either. But you drop down to FCS and donations plummet. And so, again, it has been a hot topic in sports. It has been a hot topic uh, in college sports specifically about UConn, and so many of you have asked me, dude, Torres, you're a UConn guy. Just give it up with the football thing. And I'm not saying that, that UConn uh, is in a great position to dominate as an independent. They're the next Notre Dame. That's not what I'm saying at all. But what I am saying is that the people at UConn have crunched the numbers, have reasons to stay at FBS in football, and it does actually make a lot of sense, and that is the reason why Football was not cut, even though five other sports were. All right, very, very, very quickly, because this show is running long, and as I said off the top, I am going on vacation tomorrow, and I cannot wait, 
I'm only going for a few days. Don't worry, I'll still have a show on Monday. But um, William Hill. How about our boys at William Hill? Those guys came out with updated college hoops betting odds. How you like them apples? Shout out to William Hill for giving me something to talk about. And I posted my favorite picks on Instagram, and I wrote an article about it on Kentucky Sports Radio. But I do want to give you a few picks that I like going into 2020, 2021. And you guys can go on that William Hill app if you want. I have no sponsorship with them, so I really don't care if you do or not. I'm not pushing you there. I'm just telling you the picks that I like. And I want to give you the four or five teams that I like uh, in this situation as far as teams that I like to potentially bet to win the 2020-2021 College Basketball National Championship. These are updated odds that came from William Hill this week. And again, I did write a story about it for Kentucky Sports Radio. So let's get into it from kind of the worst odds, the lowest odds to the best odds. So two, there are three teams that in William Hill Sportsbook are considered the favorites, and I like two of them. The first is Villanova. For people who don't know Villanova, they are number one in my preseason poll. They had zero seniors on their roster. They did lose a player named Sadiq Bey to the NBA. But other than that, they return every single player off a team that won 24 games last year and split the Big East title with Creighton and Seton Hall. They're deep, they're versatile, they can shoot, they can score, they're veteran, and the whole team basically comes back, and it's not like they weren't good last year. Like I said, 24 wins, four guys coming back who scored in double figures, and they got a couple guys that I think could break out. They got a kid named Brian Antoine, who was a McDonald's All-American, who barely played last year because of injury. I think he's due for a breakout. They got another kid named Cole Swider. They got a transfer named Caleb Daniels, who's going to be pretty good. I like Villanova 10-1. to They're a favorite. I'm just saying, I know the odds aren't great, but I like them. Second team, Gonzaga, also 10-1. to Now, I would say this. Be wary with Gonzaga. If they get everybody back from this NBA draft process, I do think they're good enough to win the national championship. But they currently have three guys testing the draft waters who I would say I would be cautious about. Corey Kispert, Philippe Petrosev, and my boy, Joel. Aye, aye. Those three guys are testing the draft waters. So until you know what their roster is going to look like, I would hesitate to bet on them, but I think they can win it. 10-1 to 1 odds aren't great odds anyway, but they're good enough to win it. Third team at 10-1 to 1 is a big, fat stay away, and that is your Duke Blue Devils. And listen, this isn't like the anti-AT going off, Duke sucks, blah, 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 screw Coach K. Like, Coach K knows what he's doing. He's pretty good. But let's also call a spade a spade here. Duke probably had the most talented team in 2017 when they had Jason Tatum, Harry Giles, Luke Kennard, Grayson Allen, Frank Jackson. Had the most talented team in 2018 when they had Marvin Bagley and Wendell Carter. Most talented team in 2019 when they had Zion Williamson, R.J. Barrett, Cam Reddish. Don't know if you remember, zero Final Fours in those three years. And so next year, where their best returning players are Matthew Hurt and Wendell Moore, good players, not elite, and a good recruiting class, but not a great one. To me, this is more of a brand recognition thing than an actual Duke is good enough to win the national championship. Could they win it? Yes. I don't like them enough at, my, at those odds for me to bet them. Staying on the teams that I like. couple other ones. Baylor, 13-1. Baylor's another interesting one. Easy to forget. This past season, Baylor 
26 and 4, 22 game win streak. They actually were number one in the country over the longest stretch of time, more than anyone since the Kentucky Wildcats in 2015. Baylor was number one for like 11 weeks straight. It was unbelievable. And they could return seven of their top nine scores. Now, they're another team that has two guys testing the draft waters right now. Their two leading scorers, Jared Butler and Macy Oteague. If Macy Oteague leaves, I think they're okay. If Jared Butler leaves, they are not a national championship contender. So you can bet them, but just be careful is what I would say. Next up, 14-1, the Kentucky Wildcats. And what this really comes down to is very simply this. Do you think Olivier Saar is going to get eligible or not? I talked about Olivier Saar on the last podcast. I'm not going to talk about who he is or what he brings. We know what he brings. He is the X factor for Kentucky. And if you believe that he will get eligible, I think there's a very real possibility that 14-1 are the worst, are the best odds that you'll get at Kentucky at. In other words, the odds will go down. You'll have to bet more to win less than you will at any point right now than you will right now. That's if you believe Olivier Saar is going to get eligible. You believe the NCAA is going to screw Kentucky, you believe the NCAA is going to screw the kid, you believe the kid's not going to get eligible, then stay away. If you think he's going to get eligible, I think 14-1 to is good odds. Go down the list. Who else do I like? Don't like Kansas 12-1. to Don't like North Carolina 30-1. to You know what I do like, though? How about your Texas Tech Red Raiders? Another team I feel like I've talked about a lot on this show the last couple weeks, but did lose Davide Moretti, their starting point guard. However, they have a loaded roster where basically everybody is between like 6'5 and 6'8 and all they do is is hoop man bunch of crazy athletic dudes they defend their butts off um couple guys that are definitely going to play in the NBA Joel and Tomway Joel and Tomway excuse me and TJ Shannon and they could still get John Kaminga now I don't think they're going to get John Kaminga but if they do they're really the only team that can really add a difference making piece even without him, I think they are good value at 25-1. to 1. I told you this. I'm going to Vegas on Thursday. I may put a little pretty penny on Texas Tech. Also, 25-1, to 1, Tennessee. I've talked about Tennessee. They bring back everybody, number one recruiting class. And for all the crap that Rick Barnes gets, right? Everyone, oh, Rick Barnes can't win in a tournament. How about this? Seven Sweet 16s, three Elite Eights, and a Final Four. Don't tell me Rick Barnes can't win in the tournament. He can. If you like Tennessee... They are good enough to win the national championship. 25-1 to 1 is not a bad bet. 30-1 to 1 West Virginia. Don't love them, but West Virginia, Oscar Shibway, Derek Culver are back. They will be the most physical team in the country. They are very tough to prepare for if you've never played them, especially on short notice like you do in the NCAA tournament. Never forget in the NCAA tournament, you can potentially play a team 30 with 36 hours to prepare. There's no way to prepare for West Virginia on short notice. Not saying they will win the national championship, but think they can. Don't hate them at 30 to 1. This one, along with Texas Tech, is my favorite bet. U C L A. U C L A. Fight, fight, fight. Do, 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 do. Okay, I'm getting delirious here. But UCLA, if you believe that they will get back their leading scorer, Chris Smith. He is testing the draft waters. That would mean that UCLA will bring back eight of its top nine scorers off the hottest team in college basketball over the last month of the season. If you've forgotten, UCLA won 11 of its final 14 games, could return eight of its top nine scorers, and add Johnny Juzang off the bench transfer from Kentucky. They are 50-1 to to win the national championship. Those are insane odds because I think they will be one of the 10 best teams in the country. Now, the big question with UCLA that you have to ask 
do you trust Mick Cronin? I like Mick Cronin. I thought he showed how good of a coach that he was this year, but he has only been to one Sweet 16 in his career, zero Final Fours, and obviously no national championships. I would say this too. How about this for UCLA? UCLA does has one player, the entire program, I should, let, me, let me put it this way. In UCLA's entire program, all 13 scholarship players have played in a combined one NCAA tournament game. The kid, Chris Smith, who I mentioned, he's going to be a senior next year. If he comes back, played for UCLA in the NCAA tournament three years ago as a freshman. He came off the bench. They lost in the the play-in game. That is the only NCAA tournament experience. So if you are betting UCLA, you believe in Mick Cronin, you believe in a team that has never played in a tournament game, I don't think they will win the national championship. But again, if he comes back, they're a top 10 team and 50 to 1 is great odds. The last team. How about Will Wade's LSU Tigers. Now, first of all, can you imagine the scenario where somebody, Mark Emmert, has to hand Will Wade a national championship trophy next year? But I'm just saying, Javante Smart, Trenton Watford, if they come back, LSU is legitimately a top 15, 15 team. They are currently 60 to 1. They will have those two. They will have a loaded recruiting class. Sharif O'Neal gets eligible. Josh LeBlanc, who played at Georgetown, gets eligible. They are going to be really good at LSU. And 60-1 to 1 is a crazy percentage if you think they're going to get back the guys they do. They could also add Musa Cisse. So those are my favorite picks for William Hill's futures odds. And I think I'm out of here. That is all for today's Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Great show today. I had some technical difficulties. You didn't even know it. I had to start and stop three times. Bet you didn't know it. But that is all for today's show. I so appreciate you guys doing what you're doing. I said it off the top, and I've been saying it, but I really do appreciate the support that you guys have shown over the last couple weeks. And if you're not subscribed, there's no time like the present to do so. You can do it on iTunes. You can subscribe on the Podcast Addict app. If you have an Android, Podcast Addict is the way to go. Also, Podbean, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, wherever you listen to podcasts, make sure you're subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Also, make sure to rate and review the show. Give us a quick five stars. Let us know what you like, what you don't like. Follow me on social media, at Aaron underscore Torres on Twitter, at Aaron underscore Torres underscore sports underscore podcast on Instagram, Aaron Torres writer on Facebook. And if you have any questions, Aaron Torres podcast questions at gmail.com, Aaron Torres podcast questions at gmail.com. I should also mention, as you guys get set to travel over the next couple weeks, There is no time like the present to get caught up on old episodes. As I've said many times, we had a lot of great guests early in the quarantine. I know early in the quarantine, many of you were stuck at home. You missed some episodes. Go back and listen. I mentioned it a minute ago, but we had Obi Toppin. We had Emmanuel Quickly. We had Rick Barnes. We had Mark Pope. We had Patrick Patterson. The great guests, Nate Oates, Kevin Keats, on and on and on and on. Gary Williams, national championship winning coach. Jim Calhoun, the legend. So many great guests, and if you missed any of those, I do encourage you to go back. I encourage you to listen, but that is all for today's Aerotora Sports Podcast. By the time you listen to this, I will be in the car on the way to Vegas. I hope you guys enjoy the weekend. I will be back Monday, probably with a pretty big hangover, but I hope you guys have a great weekend. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode, other episodes. Go back and listen. Thank you. I will be back on Monday after Vegas. Thank you, guys. See you then.
Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad, to learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad, to learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai.